The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips, and thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. You know, worrying is an equal opportunity practice. Little ones worry whether mom is coming back to pick them up from preschool. Third graders worry about not knowing the rules to a new game at recess. Teens worry about how they look, and everyone, even grandma, worries, can she make new friends? What is worry, and what can we do about it? We are so fortunate. Our guest expert today is a return guest to Psych Up Live, Dr. Deborah Serrani. She's a psychologist and the author of many award-winning books, including the latest book in her children's series, Sometimes When I'm Worried. When I read this beautifully illustrated book, it occurred to me that Dr. Serrani had touched upon a version of some of the same symptoms adults face when trapped by worrying and some of the same rationales and strategies used for addressing worry. With that in mind, Deborah and I decided to broaden the lens by discussing worrying across the lifespan. In our final segment, Dr. Serrani will actually take a few minutes to read her new and important book, Sometimes When I'm Worried. Dr. Serrani is an experienced psychologist who is a go-to expert on psychological issues. Her interviews can be found on CNN, Newsday, the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, and more. She writes for Psychology Today and Esperanza Magazine and is an adjunct professor at Adelphi University. She's the author of the award-winning books, Living with Depression, Depression and Your Child, A Guide for Parents and Caregivers, and Depression in Later Life, An Essential Guide. Her new book, Sometimes When I'm Worried, adds to her Sometimes When collection of children's books, which includes Sometimes When I'm Sad, Sometimes When I'm Angry, and Sometimes When I'm Bored. We did a show on that one. We are so lucky to have her, Dr. Deborah Serrani. It's my privilege to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Thank you, Suzanne, for inviting me. I love visiting you at Psych Up Live. Okay. So, Deb, let's start by clarifying for our listeners, what's the difference between fear, anxiety, and worry? Well, it's an important thing when we start talking about all these big emotions to use what's called psychoeducation, kind of informing what a person is dealing with and breaking it down into digestible parts. So fear is part of anxiety. Worry is part of anxiety. And anxiety is really a a signal from the parasympathetic nervous system that monitors our state of well-being. Um, And when we're anxious, there's generally something in our environment or something stirring within us that causes us distress. So when we talk about fear, fear is very different than worry. Fear is an in-the-moment experience. So for a child, it might be, 
oh my gosh, there's, there's that big dog. I'm scared of that big dog. And once the dog goes back inside or once you walk past the dog, that stimulus and that fear gets reduced. What happens with worry involves a little bit more of the experience of taking the fear with you, predicting the fear to be there again. And so worry involves past, present, and future, which is very different than fear. So when we talk about anxiety, one of the things we want to talk about is what is the direct experience a child or an adult may be experiencing? So we ask them, you know, what is it that you're feeling afraid of? What is it that you're thinking about? What is it that's making you scared? And based on what children and adults tell us, we're able to identify if it's um, a fear or a, or a phobia, or if it's something a little bit more involved like worry. Mm-hmm. So worry has a longer timeline in some way than fear. As you said, once the door goes inside, at the moment, the fear is reduced. But every time that little one passes the red house, there's a chance they may think, or the or the adult, or one of us passed the red house, uh-oh, is that door coming out again? Right. Or, or we associate, oh my gosh, does every red house have a dog? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh, or, you know, does everybody who has a dog has have a dog that's that big? So, yeah, um, for, for some of us, worry is something that is a protective experience. Uh, children and some adults can go by that house and anticipate the dog being there, not feel so overwhelmed and frightened, cross to the other side, pass it and say, okay, I was worried it was there. It was there. I did okay. And now I'm fine. And I don't have to worry again. But then there are others who get very stuck in a cycle of rumination about it. It doesn't matter that they're not near the house. It doesn't matter that they've passed the house or the dog is out. They're worrying about if that dog is going to be there, whether they're in the neighborhood or not. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it can generalize to all dogs. Is this house, am I going to go to a new friend's house? Is there going to be a dog there? Um, You know, for adults, it's once you have a bad experience, it gets fused with this um, amygdala hijack, they call it, where you become so alert neurobiologically to things that it's very hard to turn that switch off. So you endlessly worry and worry and worry, and that can really take away from a quality of life and living in the moment. So if we have someone who had a job and they thought they were doing well, and then they got laid off, the next job they go to, part of what's competing with their functioning on that job is the worry, is this going to happen again? Should I be more forceful? Should I hold back? So it's something one carries, as you're saying, regardless of age, it's it's more complicated. Right. And if we think evolutionarily speaking, worry kept us alive. What was that twig branch I heard? (laughs) Is that a saber-toothed tiger? I don't know if I have my timeline right, if we were around with saber-toothed tigers. Um, But worry is... Uh, a, a very helpful thing when it's measured and when we can kind of control it. But for some individuals, it does become uh, a force to be reckoned with where it colors unrealistically what life really could be or really truly is like. Uh, so it can rob a person, child or adult, 
of, um, you know, an everyday experience. Hmm. Deb, who, who do you think worry more, men or women? Uh, I believe that the research says that women worry more. Um, girls and uh, older women, we we're, we're tend to talk a little bit more and express a little bit more. Um, I, I do know that men worry, but I do think that we might have the neurobiology to um, be more predisposed to worrying. I think that we we are more predisposed, but as we were we were talking a bit before the show, men don't like to um, sort of reckon with the idea of worry. So men very often, and this is true in terms of depression and anxiety, they will flip it into anger. So they come home annoyed if they're worried <laughs> about what happened at work. Women come home worried. Um, right. And and we're going to talk a little bit about dealing with couples with it. So what would you say with children, just so our listeners know, what's the age at which kids actually start to worry or have that capability of worrying them? Well, we do know that from studies that babies as young as six months of age can have what's called separation anxiety. And while they can be afraid and fear that their caregiver or mother or loved one is not nearby, it generally requires a child to have an understanding of a timeline of yesterday, tomorrow, or later. So we tend to find worrying really peaks and be, uh, I'm sorry, it begins uh, with toddlers, when they can have the language ability to understand later and tomorrow. Um, so are, are, are we are we going to do this tomorrow? Is that big dog going to be there tomorrow? What about next week? Is that dog going to be there next week? So it's the understanding of um, time and the patterns and textures of it that really move children from fear to the experience of worry. Okay. So now one of the things that struck me in Debbie's book, her children's book, was every page as the little girl is going through a series of issues about worrying, she reaches out to someone or someone reaches out to her. And it's interesting, we could lead off with solutions that another expert, Edward Hollowell, in his, it's a, it's a famous kind of old book, it's been out there a while, he says... First solution, never worry alone, because worry too often involves underestimating our ability to cope and overestimating the danger we face. I think that's so well said. And I also think that worrying becomes a very internal dialogue that we have with ourselves where we can really get lost in that circular thinking. And, you know, we say things nowadays, it's in our vernacular, oh, gosh, I'm going down a rabbit hole. Uh, you know, we when we reach out to another, we're better able to hear and balance and and understand the reality of the situation. Whereas if we're left to our own devices, you know, I, I can spin a good yarn and, and catastrophize like nobody's business. I, there was once a hairdresser I know who used to say, never go into your head alone. It's like going into the jungle by yourself. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. But I, I actually think we know, well, look at why worrying is so persistent at night. 
there is no way or no one to counter the, I don't know if I'm going to pay the bill. Maybe this will be a malignancy. Maybe someone will break up with me. So, I mean, worrying at night, very often when people talk about how to cope with worrying at night, it has to do with interrupting it. Mm -hmm. Get up. Write down what you're worried about to face it in the morning. Have a snack. Read a fiction to take the worry thoughts away. But generally, that's one of the persistent reasons people worry at night. There's nothing to compete with it, Deb. Right, right. And even if you have a partner, you know, you don't want to, you know, right. it's sleepy time. What do you, what do you, why are we talking about this now? But that is, it's a quieter time where we can get into our own head and sometimes really get lost in the circular thinking. Well, uh, since you mentioned partner, one of the things that I'll clarify, and I know that you're going to do that too, is it's really helpful to air and share with a partner. So some partners think it's best not to, or you'll hear people, often men say to women, you love worrying. (laughs) If you didn't have something to worry about, you'd be upset. You need something to worry about. Now, one of our problems there is sometimes the man's motivation for that is that worry, let's say they're worrying about one of their children, is contagious. They don't want to pick it up, so they don't even want how to talk about it. The problem is it persists when someone can't air and share it. Right. The the validation um, is important. To be heard is important. And men... For the most part, or, or or even if we're talking about uh, same-sex partners, the other partner often will try to fix, and that repair is not what's really needed. Um, it can be minimizing, it can be devaluating, uh, but just to be hurt. So sometimes I'll say to my own partner, you know, you don't have to fix it. Just you know, you know, do you think that this could happen? And <laughs> no, Debbie, you're going to be fine. Okay. And, and that reassurance is what's just so helpful because it does help me move from that very internal dialogue. Um, so yes, uh, we have partners and loved ones who want to fix. We have partners and loved ones who are like, I don't have room for this. And it feels like an emotional contagion. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we do, we kind of don't meet where both both individuals can feel um, a, a sense of connection that's healthy, but that doesn't mean we can't talk more about it in, uh, at, at a future time if there's no room at that moment. What well, one of the studies showed that cognitive flexibility between partners really enhances relationships. So, what would that mean? It would mean, let's suppose someone said, "I'm really worried our daughter is going to fall apart at camp. She's just, I'm just too worried about it." So if the partner says, well, I hear you, okay, I I understand you're worried about it, but you know how I picture it? I picture she loves tennis. This is a tennis camp. She's finally going to be with other kids who love it. What if it actually turns out to be a great experience? So what that partner just did is he validated it, or she or he, whoever, validated it, and they not only gave another thought, they gave a picture. The the giving of a picture with worry as an alternative to change the person or have them step out of worry seems to even hold better than just telling someone she's going to have a good time. Correct. Yeah. 
So the there's ways, even if it's starting to get the partner anxious, that they could play an incredibly important role in an intervention. Right. And and I don't know about about you, but the people I work with, or even my own experience, there's a rigidity to worry. It becomes a very brittle circle. It's not uh, a circle that's diffuse and tangential. And at least for me, my worries kind of stay in a one lap kind of lane. So when there's the ability to find myself out of it, whether it's with an Im- a visual image or a suggestion or a distraction, it's almost amazing how quickly it can reduce that uh, panicked feeling of worry. So what are some of our other um, uh, interventions that we can uh, share with our listeners? Um, Well, one of the most important things research talks about is um, to not avoid uh, fear and anxiety immediately make us want to stop, avoid, retreat, and hide. And um, this is very true about worry with the big dog, whether you're a little person who's afraid of a big dog or a big person who's afraid of a big dog. We we want to address the stimulus um, by acknowledging it, by validating it, by talking uh, about the experience in a way where the person feels heard and also it's not um, such a singular experience. So we had talked about the importance of doing that. Um, and then to to offer comfort and um, to understand some of the neurobiology about why fears and worries happen. And um, then we can move to certain types of skills, um, whether they're self-care skills or intervention skills, but the Deb, most I'm gonna, you know, I'm those gonna, three things. I'm going to stop you right there. We're going to take a brief, a, a brief break and we're going to come back to talk about those skills. Um, You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We are taking on worry across the lifespan. And our our guest is Debbie Serrani. She's the author of many books, including a children's series. And one of the books that just came out, her latest, is Sometimes When I'm Worried. Stay with us. Much more to come. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Bright Horizons College Coach, a team of former admissions and financial aid officers, the show takes a deep dive on subjects such as choosing the best essay topic, negotiating merit aid, and navigating the common app. Listeners will learn what really goes into college acceptance decisions from the experts who used to make them. New episodes drop Thursdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get Unchained. Tune in every Wednesday for Unchained TV on the Voice America Variety Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. 
If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Unchained TV, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Deborah Surani. And we're talking about strategies for addressing worry across the lifespan. So what other suggestions can we give our listeners, Deb? Well, we were last talking about, you know, validating experiences, uh, offering comfort. And um, one of the things that a lot of cognitive and behavioral therapists talk about are thought-stopping techniques. And this is a way to help yourself kind of understand your worry there's something called the A to Z method. Okay, I'm worried about the big dog. Okay, well, what if the big dog is there? Instead of I'm worried about the dog, the dog scares me, I don't like that dog, we invite the circular thinking to go to problem solving. Well, what if the big dog is there? What can I do? I can move to the other side of the street. I can turn around. Um, so that's, those are some ways to reduce um, the worrying um, to stop into problem solving. Uh, another thing is to really, when we were talking earlier about psychoeducation, that anxiety is a huge physiological response. We talk about mind, body, and soul all the time in the work that we do. But when we talk about anxiety, it, there's a big piece to the physicality of it. So if we can shift the parasympathetic nervous system, that's the nervous system that's responsible for telling us we're in danger. Sometimes it misreads certain cues and clues because of our wiring or because of certain traumas or issues we're facing. So anytime we can shift that, we can reduce the stress reaction of anxiety with deep breathing, with exercise, with um, just cuddling with a little fur baby, um, drinking a cup of tea, shift, shifting your sense, uh, uh, all of your senses can really help take fear and worry and reduce it to a more manageable level. Um, anytime you can redirect yourself or, dis- or offer distraction, that is another way to kind of take the steering wheel and derail that road of worry that you're on. So whether it's I'm going to just sort my kitchen cabinets right now, or if it's a child saying, how about you put all your green trucks together? 
um, that can be a great way to offset worry. Um, and, and Deb, one of the things that we were saying when we were talking is you could preface that plan of putting the trucks away or redoing the, the, the kitchen drawer with the idea of postponement, meaning I'm not going to worry about this till tonight. Right now, I'm going to paint the kitchen chair. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm going to, we're going to organize the toys together. We're going to find all the Legos. So the postponement buys time, but it also relieves the body and the mind from being caught up in the worry. Right. It, it kind of places a different kind of control that's more focused and productive than the loss of control we can sometimes feel with worry. Um, and uh, I know that some uh, researchers talk about this being the window of worry. So we're going to have this window of time where, where we are allow ourselves to worry. And um, for some people, that can be a really helpful thing. And for some, especially for children or I think even adults, at 7 o'clock, the worry time, they're not worrying. They're doing something else, but they relieve that pressure by pushing it forward. Right, right, right. You were talking about something earlier about connecting connection with a stronger self. Yes. Yeah. These these are the type of um, mantras that people use. Like one is curiosity is the part of that, which I use a lot with my patients. So um, it's the kind of thing where someone was going on a trip and they were very they were recently divorced they were going alone mm. and um i said to them i'm going to share a theme that my brother-in-law uses all the time and that is instead of going anxious go curious mm-hmm. and his mantra is it'll either be a great time or i'll have a great story oh, and funny. so she thought i like this i'll come back with a story if it doesn't work out okay so one of the things is giving yourself curiosity as an empowering self, strong self position rather than worry, which immediately depletes you. Sure. Another thing we can sometimes do is to understand our the patterns of our worries. Do they happen at specific times? Are you a nighttime warrior? Are you a daytime warrior? Um, what kinds of things are you worrying about? The, the story I use in the book is about a dog. Um, is it safety? Is it uh, control? What is the texture or the symbolism behind the worry? Do you have realistic traumas that would trigger these worries? And if so, that can be useful information to address either yourself with journaling or on a more deeper level with a therapist, because sometimes the things that we worry about are scary sounds or experiences that haunt us. So it's important for us to help children understand that as well as older adults. One of of the other um, strategies you used in the book that I thought was so applicable to adults too is um, at some point the parent asked the little girl, well, I know you're worried about going there, but what are the things you like? about going to school or what are the things you like about going to a birthday party if a kid was saying oh they might have a clown i don't want to go but the fact is what else do you like about it so if you're traveling and you're really not a plane traveler but you're thinking it's going to get me 
to California where I want to be. The question becomes, how do you access those desires for the other things that can compete with the worry? Very, very true. And um, we see that a lot with with kids and adults with social anxiety. You know, they they crave to want to be connected, but it's the thing that they fear the most. So to kind of get out of that rabbit hole of bad things that could happen or I'm going to embarrass myself. Well, it would be nice to see these people. It would be nice to just have an evening out. And we know with certain studies that that kind of self-talk increases serotonin and dopamine. Um, Negative self-talk really creates more of the cortisol rush because we're catastrophizing. And we, when we catastrophize, our body really thinks that it's in a catastrophe. So it responds with all of these high cortisol, heart pounding, sweaty palms, worrying fear responses. So in as much as we want to help the parasympathetic nervous system, we really do need to address our mind and our thoughts and try and find the positive. It's not always easy to do, but it, it is a, a key resource that does reduce anxiety overall. And in all of these, Deb, to just go back to what we said at the very beginning, the opportunity to do it with a friend, a child and a parent, two partners, um, just makes it even more possible. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes that's not possible. And sometimes I'll say to someone, do it with music. Do it, do it on the phone, walk your way through this with somebody on a phone. In some ways, the creativity that you use in finding ways to do what you want, not letting worry get in your way, becomes a, 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 um, a journey in and of itself. Sure. And I also think it's important, and we tend to forget this because we're looking for the goal to not be afraid of the dog. But there are so many steps in between that we should reward ourselves being brave. Okay, across the street. Okay, um, you know, I didn't freeze or I didn't, uh, you know, turn around. All of those little goals are as vitally important as the one of, well, you know, I'm going to go whether the dog's there or not. And I think that that's an important thing we should teach our children and also role model ourselves to say, okay, you know, you know, when I see people climb Mount Everest, I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> but there were a million things they had to do to right. get there. And each one of those is just as important as reaching the summit. Right. That's such a good example of rewarding yourself for the small steps, Deb. It's mm-hmm. a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things that I think both of us have, have used with our patients is the rule of thumb. If somebody does is acting out, we want them to think more. And if someone's overthinking, we want them to act more. Right. So if you are obsessing about the doctor's appointment, call the doctor, make mm-hmm. the appointment, you know, and if you can't stop ruminating, you know, at night, get up and do something Right. so that, you know, they really work hand in hand. The extremes get us into trouble. You're right. You're so right. So, you know, if you're too much in your head, get out of your head. And if you're too much um, uh, in your body, you know, try, try to find some self-care that gets you out of that. That's it's all about balance. It's you know, I wish it was easy. And and for some people it is because their wiring is like that. But for others, it does take a little bit more effort. But the more you know and the more you understand that there's a mind body piece to this, uh, the more you can focus on, OK, what kinds of things can I do with my body and what kinds of things can I do with my thoughts? 
and what kinds of things can I do to to not be alone with it? Because you're you're right that that alone piece is so treacherous for anxiety, depression, a lot a lot of those big emotions. I think that anytime you succeed in moving away from what you're worrying is a big step because one of I would say one of the downsides to all of this, and it didn't exactly come up in the book, but it could have if the parents had been different. You don't want to become labeling yourself a worrier, nor do you want to label your child a worrier mm-hmm. because they're going to pick that up. Yeah. And that's the last label someone needs to go through life with. Right. It's rather unfair, too. <laughs> it's unkind and unfair. And it may, it, you know, it it, it, lim- it limits a person's ability to see beyond uh, the label. That's true. That's true. You know, so if you're the worrier in the family, oh, she's a worry wart. You know, what does that mean? Well, so it gives us the question that when a child is acting out, Debbie, the question that one could raise, whether you were the parent or the therapist, is this kid really worried about something? And is it being manifested in this tantrum or in this, um, I'm not going, I'm not going, but not telling why, not able to tell why. Right, right. You know, the worries that we've been talking about are stimulus related or um, issues that impact the individual. But might there be another identified problem as to why a child is worrying or why a child is fearful? That's that's a great point that's not addressed in the book here, but signals for, for a family to kind of inquire further what might be going on um, that we're missing? Or are we maybe not protecting an, our child enough? Or am I not protecting my partner enough from my worries that are spilling out? And and now he's worried or he's acting out. Uh, so yeah, it's that's that's an that's a good point that sometimes we need to look a little more deeply at why some children and adults are experiencing what they're experiencing. It brings us back to the question that people address in therapy and people address sometimes with friends, partners, et cetera, is sometimes a person has the anxiety, but they've not put words to it yet. That's a good point. And or they haven't retrieved a memory that when they were once on a plane, such and such happened, Mm -hmm. or that when they once went to camp themselves, they were so panicked that they had to come home. And so now that their child is going to camp, they cannot separate out that reviving of that old panic and that bad camp experience with the feeling they're sending their kid into hell somehow. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's such a great point that, you know, when whenever someone we care about is experiencing something, uh, to be respectful of their own experience and then also ask, is there anything maybe... I'm doing or not doing or not in touch with. It does require a, a lot of insight to do that, but that's certainly um, certainly an important thing for us to consider. You know, we do it every day with the people we work with. What's um, both, both Debbie and I would say, and I think people naturally do it, what people love <clears throat> about having lunch with friends is when somebody actually reveals a worry and three other people jump in and go, me too, me oh too. Yeah. And then they start to talk. I think men do this differently, 
They do it more when they're doing sports. <clears throat> some might bring up a worry or something or in a joking way, but all of a sudden there is a feeling of validation that I'm not the only one because as soon as you feel you're not alone with something, the anxiety drops. It's so true that uh, and uh, you know we he- we heal um, collectively. Um, when we, when whatever it is, you know, even a little cut or a scrape and we go, oh, I need, you know, I need, I need a bandaid or a child says I hurt myself or uh, an adult says, uh, you know, this is bothering me and troubling me. We immediately begin to heal when we reveal that and somebody's there to embrace it and validate it or even share. And it's sometimes that sharing really, it's like, you're kidding. You, you feel that way too. Yeah, of course. I think if the book had continued your book, the other thing I've seen with little children is if they have themselves had someone say to them, okay, this is what's going to happen. I know you're a little worried. You'll try it. And if you don't like it, I'm standing right in the back of the room or I'm in the hallway or whatever. Sometimes you hear the same little person say to another child, I love that. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I, I'll stay right here. You you hear the same message well, that you sent. But and it's it's passing it forward. It's it's adorable. Yeah. They've internalized the skill and now are ready to share it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Debbie Serrani. And in our next section, she's actually going to read the new book in her children's series, Sometimes When I'm Worried. And um, if we have time also, we'll be able to talk a little bit more about that. But I want you to hear how relevant this book is, not only if you have little ones, but also how valid the strategies as well as the fears are if we apply it across the age span. Stay with us. We'll be right back. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Do you ever have an off day or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. As humans, we suffer when we believe we are not good enough. We are taught we must be better, look better, try harder, and achieve more. We cope with the stress and disappointment of life in ways that make us feel worse and keep us stuck in a cycle of unworthiness. We don't have to live this way. You don't have to live this way. Kirsten and her guests will share how self-acceptance and unconditional self-love can help you break this cycle and find freedom. Listen to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans, with Kirsten Johansson, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. 
Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Welcome back. So now Dr. Debbie Sereni is going to read her latest children's book, Sometimes When I'm Worried. Go right ahead, Deb. Okay. Sometimes when I'm worried, I feel scared. I cry a lot. I can't calm down. And it feels like my worries won't go away. Daddy says, sometimes when we're worried, it's hard to control our thoughts and feelings. He says I might feel calmer if I find something I can control. He asks if I want to count to 10 or do some belly breathing. I say, let's do a belly breath. I take a big, deep breath in. I hold it. I let it out. And I feel better. Sometimes when I'm worried, I don't want to try new things. I feel scared because I've never done them before. Or I'm afraid something bad might happen. I tell Papa, I'm worried I'll fall. Papa says, I'll take care of you. He tells me that everyone worries. Children, grown-ups, even babies worry. Papa says I can try new things one little step at a time, or I can ask for help, and I feel better. Sometimes when I'm worried, my tummy feels funny. I get hot and sweaty My legs jiggle like jelly. My sister says sometimes when we're worried, our bodies feel warm and wiggly or stiff and tight. She asked me if I want to go for a walk outside or stay inside and stretch like a cat. I say, let's stretch, and I feel better. Sometimes when I'm worried, I don't want to go to school or visit grandma and grandpa or play with friends. I just want to be with daddy and papa all the time. Daddy says, sometimes when we're worried, it can be hard to do things and go places with other people. But later, we might feel good that we did it. Papa says, remember that you can have a nice time even if you're scared in the beginning. I think about how much I like my teacher and my school. I remember all the fun I have with my friends and I feel better. Sometimes when I'm worried, I can't sleep. I toss and turn and fidget and squirm, and I can't rest at all. Daddy says when we're worried, it can be hard to think about happy things and feel cozy in bed. He asks if I want to talk about what was fun today or what I'm excited about doing tomorrow or something else that helps me feel happy 
I say, I want to think about all the fun things we'll do tomorrow. And I feel better. The end. Beautiful. <clears throat> Thanks, Deb. So I want people to know, maybe you could describe what's in the end for parents in the end of your book. Well, the publisher um, that um, I work with is Free Spirit Publishing. And with all the children's books that they publish, they like to have in what's called the back matter of the book, uh, tips and techniques and advice and research for any kind of adults or caregivers. So in the back of this book, there are not only resources um, to uh, address further if you want to do some more reading, but just different kinds of tips, um, how to handle certain worries at certain ages and the difference that go on with different aged children, um, as well as things that adults can do to help their children reduce their worries. It's really one of the reasons that I wanted to work with this publisher, that it was not just a children's book, but really um, a book that everybody can find meaningful. Yeah, it's a wonderful guide, <clears throat> a wonderful guide. Debbie, one of the questions that we still have a little time that I think many parents have has to do with screen time and uh, on, on computers, on TV. And one of the things you mention in your back matter is um, imagination-induced anxiety. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit, I wonder if it even, I think it applies to adults too, in terms of some of the the wide, the wide genre of so many different stories, movies, and what kids see, is this playing a part in the anxiety more than we think? Well, um, <clears throat> since 9-11, we've seen that anxiety disorders have soared. They are the number one uh, mental health concern in children, as well as adults. So anxiety disorders for children and adults are the number one mental health concern what we know about media is that it's very fear-based uh, for a large part. Um, the news and even children's uh, cartoons deal with themes that are excessive, uh, sometimes very aggressive. So these kinds of messages or images, if you're a, a, an individual that's sensitive or a worrier or has some feelings of um, concern about the world and you're sensitive, these can really take root within you and be fodder for worrying. So it's very important that children and even us as adults limit our screen time and to really understand when we're worried, what are those worries and where have they come from? Um, we know that for children, uh, anything with safety and security or even just monsters in their own imagination can really um, be very off-putting for little ones. For adults, I mean, I myself, I, I don't really watch the news that much anymore. And um, I'll watch an occasional crawl or I'll read the paper. Um, but for the most part, um, it's really important that adults and children try and understand how one's own imagination or fear of what could happen can end up being much more um, detrimental than if we never witnessed those things in the first place. Mm -hmm. And you know that we have 
so many people talking about drills regarding school violence and school shootings. Children overhear them. So, you know, the the importance of being alert to what children are saying and not saying. The other thing is, do you recommend that if a movie has come out and you have some thoughts about it, that a parent view it first or view it with the children? Yeah, um, there there actually are parent uh, websites that review movies and actually have rating scales. And we'll talk about what some of the triggers might be if it's from cigarettes to bad language to violence to blood and gore. It's all listed in there. And yeah, I I do think as much as it's a very busy time and people have very busy lives, we need to monitor for our own children and even our own sense of selves. You know, is this a good thing for me to watch, witness or experience? Okay. So Debbie, what would what would be our take-home message to um adults, whether they're parents or not, uh young teens or young adults, in terms of the the primary way to deal with worrying? Well, if you find that you're someone who says, sometimes when I'm when I worry, it's just too much for me, to um to it the the this three-prong approach. You're going to check your mind, your body, and your soul. You're going to access and see what kinds of thoughts you're having. You're going to try to slow, comfort, and soothe your body. And then you're going to feed your soul with other ways that can offset the worrying that's um, kind of taking more control over your life than you need to. And this, this is done for children, teenagers, and adults. We address these three issues, we'll be better able to have more quality in our life. Terrific. Debbie, I want to thank you again for being a guest on Psych Up Live, and thank you for one more wonderful children's book, as well as your continual work to inform readers and listeners about mental health issues and strategies for coping right across the lifespan. You have never stopped publishing, and it's a gift to all of us. Thank you so much, Deb. Thank you, Sue, so much. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, on all of the podcast platforms. You can tell Alexa, turn on Psych Up Live with Suzanne Phillips, and you'll hear it. iTunes, Stitcher, Amazon Audible. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, mostly be safe. Thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.